Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. I want to welcome those as well that are joining online. Since I cannot compete with Ian's hair, it's tough, man. I spent all night working on my hair, gelled it, I moosed it, I prayed over it, commanded it to come forth. So I said, I'm not going to compete. I'm going the, I'm shaving it off. So since I can't compete, I'm going to just be bald. Some of you I have not had the privilege of meeting. I'll give you the bald head story. I'm in the middle of chemotherapy. I've, it's, six, it's six infusions. I've had my fifth, so I have one more to go. And uh, I remember the day I started losing my hair. It was about like day six. A big chunk came off. Nothing had come off yet. And it landed on my chest. It was about the size of an of a eyebrow right here. And I was showering, and I hollered into my wife, saying, Honey, come here and look. I'm finally getting hair on my chest. Because <laughs> I'm a, pretty much a playground here. And, uh, and so I had that, and she flipped it away and said, This doesn't count. And uh, slowly I lost it all. I've, I have battled uh, prostate cancer for 19 years. I had surgery at age 47. I was a young guy. And I've had so many miracles. After seven years of battling the disease, the doctor said there was nothing more they could do. And so for the last 12 years, I've been living on providential miracles. That is that God has taken medical care and just extended its how well it works, how long it works. I've had strategic contacts. And then there has, it's been punctuated by creative miracles so I'm, I'm a poster child of somebody who's overcoming cancer little by little by little. Can hear an amen to that. Amen. So I feel pretty good today. Now let me introduce my wife again. Honey, would you stand? This is my wife of 45 years, Rhonda Backens. Yeah. And finally, let me just say this morning that Pastor Ian and his wife are doing such a marvelous job here. And, and here's the thing about new pastors. For the first five years of a, of a pastorate, the congregation in many ways raises their pastor by loving him and letting him learn the trade and looking the other way when you might want things done differently because it takes a while to grow as a pastor, but a loving congregation shapes a pastor. And then once he's shaped, then he spends the rest of his ministry shaping you. So what a responsibility and a privilege to be given such a, an anointed, intelligent, kind, humble pastor. You know, Ian, what strikes me about you is that you're a lot greater man than you realize you are. And you don't drink the Kool-Aid. And if you won't drink the Kool-Aid... Sky's the limit for this church, for the whole valley, for your future, your wife's future, and and just never ever be one of those guys that struts. Just be the humble guy, okay? Be the tortoise. The tortoises win. We beat we beat the rabbits. 
Today's message is entitled, Rediscovering the Blessing of Singing Christmas Carols. Rediscovering the Blessing of Singing Christmas Carols. I want to do a little background on that, and then I'm going to give you five points this morning. The goal of this message is to encourage you to sing. Newsflash, men, we can sing. A congregation's worship experience rises and falls at the level of the singing of men. Women always seem to sing. Look at any choir. There's 80% women. Look at any worship team on a platform. Most of the singers are women. The key to the releasing of a whole other dimension in a church is men singing. And a church that sings together stays together. I was raised Lutheran. Lutherans sing a lot. Have you ever been to a Lutheran Sunday morning service? You have? Well, I was born and raised Lutheran. My parents are Lutheran. There's, a, there's seven hymns. If you do communion, it's like the communion hymn has like 23 verses. Like, oh, my goodness. And then all the liturgy is sung. And the pastor sings. And you sing your prayers. And you sing the benediction. You sing the introit. You sing... And, and literally, there's so much singing that at the end of a service, my throat is sore. And I'm a singer because I'm not used to singing. But they were on to something. What sets a church apart is not necessarily the preaching. It's the singing. Because singing will stay with you. You might lose the preaching as you go out the door. But the, if you sing God's word... And you sing it into your own heart. That sometimes is staying power that preaching alone doesn't have. Christmas traditions. I was thinking about that because of the topic of this Advent series. How many of you have, have had the Christmas tradition of Santa Claus? Okay. Let me tell you my quick journey on Santa Claus. When I was a kid in the Lutheran Church, Santa Claus was a big deal. We had Santa Claus at Advent services. And somehow I managed to get saved. <laughs> somehow the devil didn't possess me. And, you know, and I turned into some, you know, in a world where there's so few father figures, what's wrong with an old man who's very generous, who knows your life? And you say, well, you know, he's competing with Jesus. Only the most cynic would think he's competing with Jesus. If you want to go down that road, your dad competes with Jesus. Because your dad's the first one that shows you what God's like. Well, Santa Claus kind of helped. Now, if you believe in Santa Claus and you're 25, I've ruined your Sunday today. I'm sorry. So when I got saved, you know, at age 18, Rhonda and I, we didn't do Santa Clauses with our kids. Not only we throw out Santa Claus, we threw out the two, we threw out the Smurfs. Anybody remember the Smurf looks like a, a demon? And we had all these family Christmas traditions. Lutheran Church, you know what we got for Christmas? We got a, a bag. Now, this is, see, I'm, I'm, seven, I'm 67, so I'm, I'm a little older than most of you. We got a bag of popcorn with an orange. A tradition. Christmas tree tradition. Gift giving, of course, continues to be a tradition. But there's the lighting of the candles, traditions. There's all the Christmas carols, traditions. And when Rhonda and I got saved, we said, it's all about Jesus and we began to trim out these traditions in our lives. 
not only church traditions, but other traditions that we thought competed with Jesus. And I realize now that was a classic mistake because traditions, as your pastor pointed out, forms who we are. And traditions are not competing with Scripture. Traditions are not the same thing as church doctrine. But traditions done right, like an Advent wreath and candle, can deepen our faith in God and the Christ they proclaim. Can I hear an amen to that? Anybody get, getting a Christmas tree? Was that anybody's tradition here is going down into the woods and cutting a, a Christmas tree? And if things were running late that year, you cut a Christmas tree down off the Methodist church's lawn, you know. <laughs> and those trees were miserated and they were just, they were Charlie Brown trees, the scraggly trees. You decorated them. Remember tinsel? Fire hazard. Got to get rid of tinsel. Now we have a plastic tree stored in a plastic box to be able to put up in 30 minutes It's because it's pre-wired. It already has popcorn uh, that with cranberries already on the tree. I'm going, where's the tradition of getting the saw, getting the pickup, getting the permit, going out in the woods, getting your hot chocolate? The wife and the husband are fighting. The kids are, the kids are hungry. One kid gets sick. You lose two or three kids on the trip. You don't even know what happened to them. But it's a tradition. 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 Well, there's one tradition we cannot jettison, and that is the tradition of singing Christmas hymns. This is not a one-off. The tradition of singing Christmas hymns, this repetition that causes remembrance, imprints us with more doctrine than you will realize. I'm going to point somewhat out today. Traditions. Tradition seems to be more important as you get older. Somehow you, you kind of, as you get, when you're younger, you want, you know, young people. This is what I tell the young people in our church. It's okay to do the same thing twice in church the same way. Because they want everything different. We don't want anything the same. We want to always be creative Always be innovative, always pushing the limit of media and experience. It's okay to do some things the same way because it builds down inside of our hearts an identity, a community, a groundness of we're all in the same family together. Matthew 13, 52 says that wise scribes of the kingdom know how to take out the old and the new. An unbalanced holiday would be everything is new and novel or everything is just tradition. There has to be the new and there has to be the old. I'm so grateful you're celebrating traditions. I was thinking of, of this church this morning and you know, some of the things that this church is, is a part of a tradition in this church, not necessarily for Christmas, is that I've noticed the people of this church, NC4, uh, I've been here, this is my third time here, I think. And then we did the conference here two years ago for one focus. So I've been here, I think, four times, I think. That sounds about right. Is that the prophetic word in this church is always taken pretty seriously. 
I mean, the number of times I, I meet people in this church and say, well, we had this prophetic word. And I had this prophetic word over me. Or they give prophetic words. I've heard like three people talk about Dwayne from two weeks ago giving this prophetic word about a new season. There's a tradition. So many churches today, because they want to attract the pre-Christian, the post-Christian, they want to attract the irreligious, is that they want to dial the charismata back so that there is no shock value to a church service. And I just want to encourage you, would you all just stay at prophetic church? You know, you can deliver the prophetic in a way that doesn't scare anybody. You don't have to prophesy in the King James. This is one of the things you all do so well. It's very conversational, very normal, very much in the fabric of a service, the fabric of your prayer meetings, is that you, you, you war, like Paul told Timothy, with the prophetic word spoken over your life. It's very, very encouraging. I got a prophetic word today. Because my wife gave me a prophetic word about where we're going to dinner. She said, thus saith, no, she did, she did say that. But I didn't, I didn't get a prophetic word today. One of our elders in our church, she's dynamic. She's about, she's in her early 60s. Her first introduction to new life was attending our Tenebrae service, which is the Thursday before Good Friday and Holy Week. And we have a very formal liturgical Tenebrae service. By the way, our church service is a lot like yours. But this is a very formal service. And she said, that was my first encounter with church tradition of Holy Week. And she said, I never left New Life after that. It's something about when you and I tap into the history of our church. You know, the church didn't start in 1960. Did it start riches that somehow have been cast aside? There is a time for a little pomp and circumstance. Can I hear him into that? There, there's a time when it's just not cash. That we have a tradition. Sometimes it's traditional to do certain ways the same way from generation to generation that links us together. In his book, To Do, the church and music, Paul Westermeyer, talks about Luther's approach to singing hymns at Christmas and the importance of congregational singing. Martin Luther said this, I firmly believe and am not ashamed to assert that next to theology, no art is equal to music. For it is the only one except theology which is able to give quiet and a happy mind. This is manifestly proved by the fact that the devil, the author of depressing care and distressing disturbances, always flees from the sound of music as he does from the word of theology. This is the reason why the prophets practice music, this is all direct quote, more than any art and did not put their theology into geometry or arithmetic or astronomy, but they put their theology into music, intimately uniting theology and music to tell the truth of God in song. Martin Luther said, hymns and music, songs of the Lord, they come from something he called the sphere of miraculous audible things. He says, so I, I can't explain it, but it's mysterious. He says, there's something in the spiritual realm where the Word of God originates. The Bible originates there, but also song originates there because they both have a way of communicating in words God's heart. He said song comes from the sphere of miraculous, audible things. He was One time he passed out at his desk and his wife wanted, you know, went and got some help and they, 
And they, so when the doctor came, they said, let's don't, let's don't, you know, give him, rouse him this way. We can probably exhaustion. And they just start to sing. Martin Luther wrote that once he started to hear some singing, he said, I started to kind of wake up and I'm listening to the singing. He said, before I know it, I'm standing to my feet and I'm singing too. Martin Luther said this about people who won't sing. He said they're clodhoppers. Get this. Now, he was, he was kind of a coarse guy. He said they do not deserve to be called a human being. Direct quote. And then he says this. He should not be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. My subtitle of my sermon today is The Braying of Asses. I don't know if saying that bad word reminds me. I went to a rodeo in South Dakota, well, about 10 years ago. I'm from South Dakota. I was raised on a ranch and farm. And I went to a rodeo. And I'm all nervous at the rodeo. I'm just nervous, nervous. So finally, I, I go to my wife and I say, Honey, I'm so nervous to tell you this, but I am going to have a hot dog and a beer. And she looked at me with those steely blue eyes. You're not going to have a hot dog. <laughs> I mean, she's Pentecostal girl. I mean, you know, so I thought she was going to be upset about the beer because I'm, I'm a teetotaler. And she, you know, she said, you're not good. You can have the beer, but you can't have a hot dog. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26, Jesus sang hymns. The night in which he was betrayed, the Bible says, he and the disciples, Matthew 26, 30, and when they had sung a hymn, Jesus was a singing Savior. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus stands in the midst of the congregation, Hebrews chapter 2, and he sings with us. The Old Testament says we have a God who sings over us. And we have the book of Revelation, we, we have heaven described, where the angels are creating the atmospheres of, of heaven through song. We have a singing God, a singing Savior. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas, they're in prison, soon to be probably executed. The Bible says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And what happened is they sang hymns. I'm emphasizing the concept of hymns. They're singing hymns. Not just, they're not just going on a, on a Holy Spirit rift of, of a new song in the Lord. They're singing a, a, a Jewish hymn. And the Bible says the prisoners heard that hymn. And shortly after that, there was an earthquake. And they were set free. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 would be today's text, if we had one particular scripture as a text, it says that we're to speak to one another. The word speak here is the word, it's in the present tense, which means it's a continual thing. We're to be speaking to one another, and that is to say, communicating to one another, proclaiming to one another, there's something in my mouth that you need to hear that can stir you up. When you're in a room that's singing, it's hard to be depressed. 
When you're in a room that is singing with all of their heart to God, there is something that another person's voice is causing in your heart to be set free that you can't do yourself. So singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, there's three, three different kinds of music described there. I don't think his intention is to have real clear lines you know, of demarcation between these two. For just our discussion today, hymn, psalms would be the psalms of the scripture. Hymns would be songs that were written that are scriptural, but not scripture per se about God. And spiritual songs are probably a little looser kind of a song. They may have, in fact, been prophetic songs. And that prophetic song that maybe got sung repeatedly and became eventually a well-known song. And it says here, and making melody in your heart, worship, singing Christmas carols needs to come from our heart. We sing it to the Lord. Let me give you five things about rediscovering then the power of singing hymns, singing Christmas hymns, Christmas carols in Advent. Number one, first, singing Christmas carols is truly an act of worship. Now, I'm a simple man, so these are not going to be profound. When I pause like that, you're supposed to say something like, no, I think they're pretty profound. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging out there. This is what happens in Advent. You know, you want to get to the Bethel song, the the elevation song, the upper room song. You want to get to that new th- prophetic song that's just knocking out Christian radio. And, and now you're singing, what was the Moravian song? Morning Star. And you're going, yeah, this is, this is, this is kind of a nice children's special. We just got to, that's, that's just, no, that's not right thinking. Singing Christmas hymns is in fact, look that, not every worship song has to be this deep silo moment where I can hardly talk or stand. That's, that, you have to have that. But there's also songs where you clap, you dance, you laugh, and there may just be some catchy phrases. You know, Christmas hymns have a lot of words to them. You've got to be on your toes. Singing Christmas carols is truly an act of worship. Joy to the world, O come, O come Emmanuel. Come long expected Jesus. It happens in Advent. Our church does this in Advent. We know it's Advent. We've got to sing Christmas stuff. And we did exactly what you did today. We front load it. Let's do two or three, kind of get them, get, them, get those Christmas songs up there front. You guys did a beautiful job with the medley on that. And then we go into the songs that are really, you know, the worship songs. I think it's time we step back with hymns. If you're, the older you get, sometimes your heart is just hungry for an old hymn like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You're, you're, you're just dying to hear, what's the grace song? Amazing Grace. You know, you just, and, and, you know, and when you hear that amazing grace, it's like, all the emotions of serving God for 50, 60 years come rushing to the service, surface. All those childhood memories of his amazing grace. And you're singing it with generations of people alive and past that, that know that same song. There's something to it. Pull out the old and pull in the new. And, and sometimes young worship leaders are just, what's the latest and newest song? We've got to have them. Without new songs, church becomes stale. Come on. You've got to have new stuff. But you can't leave the old goodies behind. Can you hear an amen to that? You know, I used to say, can I get a witness? Predominantly white churches, they go, can I get a witness? 
in, in a black church, when they got to get a witness, then all the handkerchiefs come out and everybody's yipping and yapping. It's great. So I said, well, I have to cue it. Can you, can you say amen? I might actually have to cue the, cue the amen. Let's practice it, shall we? Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Amen. Can I get a witness? Yeah. woo Singing Christmas carols, number two, tells God's story. Many worship songs today tell your story. I was so afraid, but now I'm not. I was sick, but now I'm healed. I was lost, but now I'm found. Christmas carols don't tell your story. They tell his story. Robert Weber, who started the, the, the school of worship in, in Florida, which I got my doctorate at, he was asked to give a definition of what is worship. He said, worship is those things in the Christian faith that sing, preach, and enact God's story. Now, you, 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 the content, he would say, of worship is you're telling God's story. God created everything. Should be in, it needs to be in there. And then man fell into sin and could not save himself. And then there came the glorious incarnation, the greatest miracle of Scripture that led the way to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And upon his ascension, he awaits to return to reconstitute, recreate a new heavens and a new earth. That's the story. And hymns tell the story. You look at a good hymn with multiple verses, it's going to have creation in there. It's going to have probably... Luther's got the devil in a lot of his songs. He, he, he really believed in the devil. So there's the fall, and there's sin, and then there's a cross, and there's Savior. And Jesus is coming back. Of course, Advent celebrates the second coming as much as the first. He tells the whole story. You don't get the whole story if you're not singing a hymn. The song, I'm Not Afraid, you get a little slip. I'm not afraid. Is, it, is, is it there a song like that? Sure. I mean, can I get a witness? Woo! It tells God's story. It tells the meta narrative. I challenge you. It tells a meta narrative. Christmas carols talk about a creation. Christmas carols talks about a second coming. Christmas carols foreshadow a cross. That's the beautiful thing about a Christmas carol. We're singing the whole story. God gets to narrate the world, not us. He's telling this is what happened. And you sing it, and you sing it, and you sing it. Then after you sing these hymns for a while, it gets, it's down inside you. And lo and behold, creation, fall, redemption, and glory become your story. I was created by God. I fell away from God, but there was a Savior who redeemed my life, and there's an awaiting glory. Our life then becomes shaped by the meta narrative that we have sang over and over and over and over and over. And there's nothing wrong with a little chorus that's got two or three thoughts in it. You know, the chord progressions are basically all the same. They're, they're, they're looking for an emotive conclusion, but the words have to mean something. And that's the beautiful thing about a Christmas carol. The words. Sometimes the melodies are so-so, but the words are powerful. Can't hear an amen to that. Number three, singing Christmas carols shapes, then, what we believe in who we are. 
Oh, holy night, we are reminded that in sin and error pining, how we needed a Savior, how he appeared and the soul felt its worth. We hear the salvation story in Silent Night, a Christmas hymn. God rest ye merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. And there's the phrase in there. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. That's in a Christmas hymn. Hark the herald angels sing. We learn that it's only through the newborn king can God and sinners be reconciled. We are reminded that Jesus being God took on human flesh. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. And in this powerful phrase in that song, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Don't tell me that's not dripping with theology. Away in a manger, little town of Bethlehem, go tell on the manger where the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men could become the sons of God. What child is this? The words of this are beautiful. The second verse says this, Nails... Spear shall purse him through the cross he bore for me and you. When Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all those who believe in him. Silent night. That's one of our favorites. It's describing in silent night the essence of grace. The phrase says, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. How many today need redeeming grace? Every time you sing Silent Night, you're going to have there's, there's radiant beams coming from God's presence into my life, and it, hit, it is His redeeming grace. Joy to the world. I like that one. It says, let the world receive their king. Let every heart prepare him room. What a powerful hymn commanding response. Have you made room, not for the pseudo-king, but for the historical spiritual king from Genesis to Revelation? Oh, come, let us adore him. Come, adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn king. And our response to these beautiful hymns is reflected in the Christmas hymn, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Do you ever sing that song? It's kind of an oldie. Angels from the realm. Okay. Sinners wrought with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains. Justice now revokes the sentence. Mercy calls you, break your chains. Come and worship, come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. It says, sinners, we need true repentance because of our guilt. Justice demands a sentence, yet mercy shows up and breaks the chains of that justice. So now we can come and worship. We have a newborn king. Can I get a witness? Singing Christmas girls binds the multiple generations, these go quickly, together in community. I think your pastor has spoken about this. The importance of coming together in time and space, 20-somethings, 40-somethings, 60-somethings, 80-somethings, teenagers, kids all singing 
the same songs, binds us together. I may not understand Jesus. What, am I a millennial? What am I, a boomer? Are 66-year-olds boomers? Yes? Okay. So what's a Gen Z? Younger than millennial. And what's the one down from that? Okay, what's the youngest, what's the youngest group? Alpha? Right? Okay. There's so many darn groups. You know, I don't even know what anybody believes. You're told, you know, the Gen Zers are all about materialism. The Gen Yers are all about sexual identity. The Gen Xers, you know. I guess I'm a boomer now, and I guess I'm about being responsible. (laughs) But, hey, I may not know your generation, but we can sing together. And when we sing together, I don't have to know everything about your generation because now we have something in common. Singing Christmas carols enhances then, the final point, the spirit of celebration. Christianity is the singing faith more than any other faith. Other religions have some songs, but not like us. We're a singing group. Whether it starts with Bach and Handel and the Baroque oratories or the little music of the Gregorian chants, or the medieval church, or going back to the first century, or even the hymns that are recorded in the New Testament. Sing spiritual songs, for sure. Sing psalms, for sure. But sing hymns. Sing Christmas hymns. And when we sing Christmas hymns, Bethlehem, it will release a joy like no other holiday season. It will refresh you, particularly when you sing with all your heart. And it will keep us filled with the Spirit. As we conclude this today, there's the chorus, Come let us adore Him. And if I might take a a little bit of liberty, I'd like to lead us in this chorus. Would that be all right? We're going to sing it together. And then the second time, we're going to sing, For He Alone is Worthy. And women, that's just going to be you. Third verse, which is, Let's praise his name together. That's just going to be us men. Fourth verse, we'll give him all the glory. That will just be Ian. So, (laughs) you got your mic? Will you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.